You're listening to episode 23 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up with personal brand and freedom stylist, Elizabeth Hartke. Each week, Elizabeth brings you the tools you need to create a life of true freedom and fulfillment by scaling and monetizing your personal brand. Get clarity, become a leader in your field and make an impact that pays. Grab your favorite healthy smoothie or beer and let's get to the show. I am so fired up for today's episode because we have Monica Epperson on the show. And Monica is someone who's been a coach to me, a mentor, a dear friend, and just evidence that there are just incredible women in the world who are living their purpose and helping other people do the same. So Monica is a speaker, an author. She's had over three decades of experience in pursuing the truths of her own story. And she is just so talented in helping people connect to their story and understanding the power of our personal stories. She's an adjunct professor and course developer for Newman University out in Wichita, Kansas. She's a trained counselor and she's a certified life coach, but she also works directly with True Stories Ministry and They are a ministry dedicated to restoring lives and redeeming stories. And she also works directly with PurposeCast, which is a niche firm addressing the pursuit of purpose through emotional intelligence training, which is today's topic. And we are going to dive deep into emotional intelligence. Monica is the former founder and CEO of The Child of Divorce. You may have seen her video that went viral on YouTube. It's a nonprofit dedicated to giving children of divorce a voice, something that she personally experienced in a big way in her life, and it's a big part of her story. Her first book, A Heart with Two Homes, was published in 2008, and she had a second book called Bounce that debuted in 2011. But Monica, to me, is so much more than the accomplishments you read about on paper. She may have earned her degree in education, and she may have her master's in counseling, and she's currently working on her doctorate, and all of those things are incredible. But I look up to Monica for how she owns her story. She owns who she is. She pours into the people that she connects with in ways that you could not understand until you are a recipient of it, which I have been. I'm so grateful that the Lord brought Monica into my life, but she's an incredible mother and she's an amazing wife. And all things Monica, I am like just pro Monica in every way, you guys. I love this woman. And today we are talking about something that is not being spoken about enough, although it is starting to be spoken about more, and that's emotional intelligence. And Monica does a deep dive today that is going to speak into your soul. So if you feel like you're hitting roadblocks in different areas of your life, in your relationships, in your business, in your ability to scale up in whatever it is you're doing, this is the missing piece. Trust me when I tell you, you might want to just skip over this episode because it's not tactical. Well, it is tactical. Monica's actually giving you the tools and the resources you need to go next level in your emotional intelligence. So if you ever feel like you get hung up on things because you encounter a failure or a struggle and then you get mad or frustrated or disappointed or the doubt creeps in, that is what this topic is. And she's teaching us the ways to have breakthroughs in this area. So do not skip this episode and share. For the love of God, share this episode with the people you love. Take a screenshot, share it, tag us. This is the one that needs to get into more hands. And it's what is personally changing my life. And I can't wait for you guys to listen. So I'm done yapping. Let's get on to the show with Monica. Today's episode is sponsored by my seven-day Ditch Your Day Job Planner. Over the last seven years, I've researched, I've worked alongside some of the best leaders in different industries and learned all about what it takes to create a life of freedom and fulfillment. And I've compiled the knowledge, the experience, the tools, and the how-tos into a seven-day course that is specifically designed for the go-getter who is ready to lay that groundwork for breaking out of their nine-to-five-day job and bringing their idea, their passion, their purpose, or their business to life. Whether you haven't even gotten anything off the ground yet or you want to go next level in what you've already created, you will spend seven days with me building out your plan to be able to ultimately ditch your day job. This is the blueprint. I have been there. 
I was stuck in that cubicle life. I had this aching that I knew I was made for something more and was being called to take some major, major leaps in my life. My only regret was not starting sooner. So I wish so desperately that I had something like this to speed up my process from day one. And I am doing something extra special for my listeners, too. You are going to get early VIP access to my seven-day Ditch Your Day Job Planner, and that means you get it at my limited-time VIP pricing, too. So you're going to get over 50% off just because you're my people, and I totally want to see you live your dreams. Now on to the show. All right, guys, we have Monica Epperson on the show, and Monica, I am just beyond excited to welcome you to Scaling Up. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm a little biased. So to kind of fill the listeners in, it's going to be hard to beat having Monica as a guest on the show. And I'll kind of fill them in on our little story of how we met. Okay, Monica? Sounds great. So Michael, my husband, was on the hunt probably like four, maybe five years ago now for a life coach, someone to kind of guide him through the transitions of life because he was going to be leaving his corporate job and branching out into exploring, starting his own business and all that. So I did my research and I found Monica's husband, Brian, and he was like, we were just talking before we started recording, how good of a fit those two are. Um, (laughs) So Brian and Michael started working together. And fast forward a bit, Brian kept saying how to Michael how Monica and I had to connect. And when I hosted my third annual leadership retreat for business owners, Monica and Brian came as our honorary guests and speakers, and they literally stole the show. And that's where I fell in love with Monica. And it's just really hard for me to put into words in an appropriate time frame how insanely special you are to me and how much I admire you for both who you are, what you do, how you do it, and all that jazz. So I'm just, I'm thrilled to have you on and to pepper you with an obnoxious amount of questions. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to be here and the feeling is mutual. I admire your work and your work ethic. And it's just been so fun to get to be a part of your life and your journey. So I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Awesome. Well, we have so much more work to do together, but for today, you guys listening in, you heard that she's a speaker, an author, a professor, former CEO, a certified life coach, and of course, a mother and a wife, but that doesn't even really tap into her beauty and her genius. And I look up to you for so many things as a Christian woman and as a wife and a mom, but also how you just own your story. And that's such a powerful thing for me growing into that and working on growing into that. And Monica right now is finishing up her doctorate and it has a focus in emotional intelligence. And she's been both fascinated with that, experienced in it, and an expert in the power of emotional intelligence. And this was a completely new term to me before we met. And once you exposed me to this concept, Monica, only then I started to really realize how much work I had to do to get to where I want to go in my life. So if the people listening in, if you're anything like me and you don't fully understand what emotional intelligence is, or you have your assumptions and you don't know exactly how it's affecting you and all that you do, or maybe what you're not doing, this is your episode. And we talked in episode 21 about unlocking your potential. And this is one of the keys to doing that in business, wealth, family, marriage, happiness, health, all of it. And I've been working with Monica for the last two years in this area, and I have a long way to go. So I'm going to step off my soapbox now so we can hear from the expert. Monica, just tell us a little bit more about you, where you come from, who you are. Oh, I love it. Well, I've had time to sit in my story, so it's very helpful to be able to share. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I had gone through five divorces by the time I graduated high school. So my story is like a patchwork quilt. And through all of that, if you know anything about trauma or going through multiple family changes, what ends up happening is emotion regulation becomes a really big deal. So through my story, it was obviously a long process, a long journey. I've come to realize that emotional intelligence for me was a real lifesaver for my understanding of that it's something that I could actually grow and train and learn and acquire more skills in. 
helped me to be able to regulate emotions that I could be so easily triggered and that could kind of either get me distracted or get me off of where I was really wanting to go. I did a lot of self-sabotaging. So interesting enough, maybe five years ago, I didn't, I had never heard of emotional intelligence either, except my, my great husband was telling me, you know, you have this real aptitude, this real knack for understanding emotions and how to read people. Maybe you should look into that. And I just kind of laughed at him and said, doesn't everybody read people? I mean, isn't that what we all do? Right. He said, no. (laughs) I was like, okay. So some people really can't. It's really a struggle. I said, well, I guess for me, it was survival, Um, learning to read people, learning to know how I was feeling, kept me out of a lot of trenches, especially with being a child of divorce. It kept me out of the 50% trench, which is 50% of children of divorce turn to drugs. Pregnancy rate is 50% higher. There's a plethora of all of these horrible side effects, really, is what that sounds like. Sounds I sound very dramatic whenever I talk about it, but learning about emotional intelligence, learning that I struggled with being able to regulate emotions, I either had them or I would just completely shut the switch off and have no emotions. And then it was just perfectionism, autopilot. So this journey through all the twists and turns has been really, really crazy. And if I wasn't a woman of faith, I would think that I am the most random crazy, go with the flow, hippie person. But I really think this journey has been orchestrated. It's gone from getting an undergrad in education and spending time with students that struggled with emotion regulation, writing books with characters that they could relate to so that we could actually talk about some of their emotions, to then going into counseling for my master's and getting more equipped. And and I thought I was going into it for the purpose of, I was running a nonprofit for for children of divorce that I started with Brian, my husband, because I was so passionate when I researched all the side effects. But then that journey led me into the classroom. So then I found myself at Oklahoma Wesleyan University teaching emotional intelligence, teaching emotion regulation, and being asked to speak on the topic. So it's been so interesting, this journey. And then how I got into a program to, to do this, I was actually asked by Midwestern if I would come to Kansas City and consider doing a doctorate with, a fo- with my primary focus and, and emotional intelligence being that, which has been shocking. So I've gotten to do all sorts of crazy things, all from a really interesting patchwork quilt childhood. Yeah. What do you think a, of that? That's a- <laughs> I think it's incredible and I'm captivated even though I know your story. And so walk us through, you You said you are the product of your child of divorce. You experienced five divorces in your lifetime. What What were those divorces? Were they all parents and remarrying or tell us a little more about that and how you think that affected your emotional intelligence and how you were able to kind of, I don't know, your resolve in reacting to situations or struggling with your emotions or unable to identify your emotions? Yeah, actually, it's interesting because so my original parents, my mom and dad, they got divorced before I was even a year old. So that started this cycle. The five divorces was actually even just before high school. My dad was married two other times after my mom and those dissolved. And then my mom was married uh, four times after my dad. So there's quite a collection. So it's been interesting. The what it set me up for is, you know, one in three girls deal with some sort of sexual abuse. Well, when you've got parents that are in two different cities and you're kind of getting shuffled back and forth, and who the accountability, children of divorce are more likely to be abused. So I dealt with multiple uh, sexual abuse situations, dealt with physical abuse because of you know different environments and not quite the same accountability, I guess you would say. So according to the research that we've learned about childhood trauma, um, which for your listeners, I always suggest people go out and take their their ACE test. Um, It's the Adverse Childhood Effects Test. Uh, Dr. I think Burke is her name. She's done a lot of great work. But if you go back and you take this test and you see that you have been affected negatively by childhood trauma, well, the first effect is going to be this lack of understanding of emotions and 
how to identify them, much less what to do with them. Because let's face it, we do not like to sit in unpleasant emotions, right? And right. who teaches us <laughs> how to do it? Oftentimes, it's our parents or mentors, a stable force in our life typically teaches us how to handle unpleasant emotions. But if you don't have that stable force, if, it, if there's a lot of upheaval going on, then you're left either to completely shut it down and have no emotions, or at least try not to have emotions, which physiologically, you can't not have emotions. I mean, we are wired to have emotions. So, but you think you do, you think you've shut it off, which is a problem in itself, because then you're always looking for distractions of how do you stay distracted, where you don't have to think about your emotions or what you're feeling. So I know that emotional intelligence is kind of becoming a little bit of a buzzword or buzz phrase, like you're hearing it more often. I'm seeing books like when you walk through the airport that are focusing on this, but I would see that and I still didn't know what it meant. So can you define emotional intelligence and, and what that actually means? Oh, absolutely. Probably the, the easiest and, and best way to understand emotional intelligence is to look at it as four different quadrants. So you have self-awareness. And once you've gained that self-awareness, then you can manage yourself. So self-awareness kind of leads into that self-management. Then you go from that to a social awareness, because then once you can really understand and be aware of what's happening socially um, with others, then you can go into relationship management where you can actually manage your relationship. So that is kind of the umbrella overall term. The story of how it came into existence is very stereotypical for any type of concept that becomes a buzzword. So there were some eggheads over at Yale, Solovey and Mayer, and they were in the early 90s doing all this research about, okay, how, how does what people perceive and understand and feel, how is that facilitating thinking? So they were wanting to take emotions and understand them in a cognitive sense. Well, that research led to, in 90, 1995, Daniel Goleman did this huge, I mean, you cannot see emotional intelligence, the word, without seeing Daniel Goleman, because he brought it to the public with giving it legs in a way that the masses could understand. And he wrote, Working with Emotional Intelligence. So his whole idea was, okay, everybody, this is not like IQ. This is not fixed. This is actually something that we can be trained in. And you can grow in your emotional intelligence. So he started putting together like workshops and books and things to help people to understand that you knowing why you think and feel the way that you do will help you manage it, then will help you in social situations and will help you with relationships. And so he kind of took it into that angle. And then another fun layer is Revan Baron comes along and then he says, well, I would like to really create this. 15 different factors of emotional intelligence to help people get to intelligent behavior. Like that's his big platform is let's get it. Let's get society to intelligent behavior. So you've got all these great different facets of emotional intelligence and people are finding kind of their niche in a little portion of this overarching um, research body of research. So what I'm finding I lean more toward uh, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. She's really helping people to understand that we all deal with unpleasant feelings. And it's how we manage that 60 to 90 seconds of the wave of an unpleasant feeling. It's how we manage that that's really controlling the moment-to-moment -moment happiness and contentment and ability to manage our lives. So that's definitely my, my little niche area. This is so fascinating to me because not solely because you kind of exposed me to this and then now we, you and I are working together in helping me have breakthroughs in this area. And I, it's funny because it's probably my biggest challenge yet. And to approach your, your emotions, I always chalked it up as like my personality, you know, like that's yeah. just how I react or that's just what I witness. So that's just kind of what I'm stuck with. And, but what you're saying is this isn't fixed. This isn't something you're necessarily born with. So that leads me to believe that it's something that we can continually grow in. So for our listeners that, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are either kind of at different phases of their journey. Some of them are very successful entrepreneurs, typically in the personal brand space. 
or influencers or people who kind of have something off the ground and they're looking to scale it. A lot of people looking to take their income to the next level or their level of freedom or happiness or whatever. And then we have the people who are kind of dipping their toe in and excited about the prospect of breaking out of their day job or kind of getting their idea off the ground a little bit further. So they're kind of a different places, but this is so universal because no matter, you're never going to stop encountering those really tough emotions, whether it be, you know, when you're a successful entrepreneur and you're bumping your head against the wall or hitting your ceiling, you know, how are you reacting to those things or the hardships that happen when you're first starting a business or you're first turning it a passion into something a little more concrete or viable as a business. This is so relevant. So speaking to that audience, to me, this is so foundational, but it's something people don't even think about. They go right into like, give me the tactics of how I build this business and, you know, what's my return on investment and all those things. Like, why is this so foundational? Yeah, well, I'm really glad you asked that. First of all, we learn by story. So I'm going to kind of give your listeners a story to kind of get an overarching understanding of why emotional intelligence and the pursuit of gaining insight into our own emotions and the emotions of others is so important. So here's the story. So you've got two people. We'll say Mary and Liz. Not you, Elizabeth, but Mary and Liz. So Mary grew up in a home that there was not a lot of money, very poverty stricken. The books that, that she read, that she would walk to the library three miles to get to, the books that she would read were all books about pulling yourself up with your bootstraps and all about you are the creator of your destiny, right? So she is so immersed in this. And she has gone out and she's paid her way through college. And she now has means to have this great apartment in an urban environment. Well, she's walking the streets and there's this person begging, do you have a dollar you could give me? I'm homeless. You know, this is, this is where I am. It infuriates her. She gets so mad because from her lens, from her perspective, this person had the same exact opportunity that she's had and they did not maximize their life. So she's frustrated. Then you've got Liz over here who grew up in a home that the kind of books that she was reading were a lot of faith-filled books. She was learning about how we're all connected in some way. There is a beauty to helping others. There's a beauty to what you've been given sharing So her perspective is totally different. She was able to go to college on a scholarship. So she didn't have any debt from college. She felt very, a lot of gratitude for that. She gets this great job in downtown and she's out on the street and this person comes up and asks for a dollar. She feels sadness. She feels compassion. She looks at this person and is like, where did society do you wrong? Like where, where was where was the church or people coming in to lift you up and to build you up? And of course I'll give you a dollar. So see the reaction from each person is so completely different, both emotion filled reactions from personal life experiences and their story. But it's important that we know each type of reaction. If you're building a business and you've got a client base of all of these different type of stories, then you have also a bunch of different drivers and a bunch of different emotions, right? So having a mountaintop view gives you an advantage to be able to see a person and to be able to know a little bit about more about their story allows you the privilege of knowing a little bit more of how to meet their needs and what those needs might be. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I can so understand and like I can picture the people in my head who I've I before kind of having this perspective or how you often put it, like seeing it through this lens that different people come from different stories and you don't necessarily know what shoes they've walked in. My reactions to their reactions haven't necessarily been beneficial for anybody because I'm reacting just through my own experiences and not trying to see it from what they may have you know, walk through themselves. So speaking from kind of that place of knowing, having been through it for the last seven years, that entrepreneurship is really hard and you encounter a lot of, quite frankly, a lot of failures along the way. I can't count how many I've had. So 
there have been times where if I'm speaking from my own experience where I'd have a failure or I'd, I'd hit a roadblock and I would get so down about it and focus so heavily on the problem and all the narratives from my story would kind of start bubbling up. And I wasn't even necessarily aware of it. It was just kind of who I thought I was. And I'd have all these feelings of doubt or fear or almost like these narratives that were just holding me back and still sometimes hold me back. How can someone in a position like trying to branch off into their own business or trying to scale a business to the next level, speaking to those failures that are kind of guaranteed to happen if you're going to grow in any area of your life, what can they or we, myself included, do to kind of rein it in and be able to have a productive result or reaction when these emotions come up? Oh, absolutely. Here's what's so fun about emotional intelligence is, especially with motion regulation, you can practice these skills because we're given opportunities every day. We, on average, we're going to experience 3,000 emotions in one day. Yikes. That's the average. Isn't that crazy? That is so true. you get to practice this all day long. Um, we know what to do with positive emotions, but we don't always know what to do with unpleasant feelings. So let's talk about um, one of my favorite, this is such a great little strategy that I employ a lot, and it's called the Rosenberg Reset. Of course, it's named after Dr. Joan Rosenberg, but the formula goes like this. It's one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. So now I'm going to break it down. One choice is you have the choice to stay present, aware of the emotion over avoidance. So we're going to stay present, right? We're not going to run, hide, distract. We're going to stay present in whatever that unpleasant emotion is. Then eight feelings. Here's the eight feelings that can be very unpleasant that we don't like. There's sadness, there's shame, there's helplessness, there's anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And so we have a choice when we experience one of those, instead of fleeing or finding a distraction, we want to sit in that feeling because this is what we know about. It's only going to last physiologically for up to 90 seconds. So that if we will ride the wave and actually experience it, then we don't carry it, right? So what's so cool about this is that if we can recognize like when we feel embarrassed, okay, this is an unpleasant feeling. I'm feeling embarrassed. My body, I feel before I think, right? We do know this. Neuroscience has taught us that everything goes through the limbic system first. So we feel and have a physiological reaction. A rush of these chemicals go through our body when we experience embarrassment or any of the other eight. So you sit in it and go, oh, I am so embarrassed. Why am I feeling so embarrassed? First of all, I hate this feeling. It makes me sick to my stomach. I clench my shoulders. I just want to like crawl in a hole. I'm experiencing this. But the good news is, is that I know if I'll just ride this wave, it's going to be over in 90 seconds. And then when that 90 seconds is over, when the, we've had the rush of the emotion, and now the flush of the emotion. So we now know we're no longer chemically influenced after 90 seconds. The rest now is the brain, the cognitive brain, the frontal lobe. So now we say, what insight do I now have? Why did I get embarrassed? What was happening? What is that trigger in me to want to then do or say? Right? And so then we can take something that could be a switch that gets flipped into a, a life decision that ends up being a great thing, right? I mean, let's let's look at you and your story. I love your story, Elizabeth. I absolutely love your story. How you had a switch flipped, right? You felt an intense feeling. You saw this, um, like a brochure, something that you were in the midst of that feeling. You gained insight and said, I don't want to feel this way again. I never want to feel this way again. So it caused you to go from a feeling to action, Great. right? Mm -hmm. 
Can you imagine if you employed this one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds, and then waited for the cognitive insight? Can you imagine if you employed that, how many other things in your life you could flip the switch and say, this is what I learned. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Yes, it absolutely would. (laughs) I know. Here's what's crazy is what I like about the 90 seconds and us being aware that that is a, a, a factual statement from the neuroscience is that we don't have to fear that we're going to like spiral into this horrible negative emotion pit. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Cause, yeah. Cause we haven't put a timeline on it. Yeah. And if you know that the rush is going to come and the flush is going to come. I like that. I like the kind of the visual and I'm such a nerd on, physiology too. So to tie in like what our bodies are actually doing and understanding, like, it's not that you let that 90 seconds pass and then the embarrassment's gone forever. It's that you, that chemical's not rushing through you. You let that kind of move on so that you can start to focus on how you're going to move through it. And I think one of the, the big things for me that I tell myself now when I encounter these moments where I'm like gritting my teeth, like, why did that happen? Or why did I do that? Or I can't believe this has happened. And trying to teach myself to sit in it is also reminding myself that this is a growth opportunity because without these moments of friction and almost like there's a little bit of agony to it. Sometimes I feel like you have that kind of pit in your stomach that you talked about or whatever that fall in the category of those eight emotions. It doesn't, feel good in the moment. But if I can tell myself this is for good, like what will come of this on the other side is going to be of value to me. So I just have to stay solution oriented and focused versus living in the problem. And kind of what I used to do and what I still do sometimes is I'll encounter one of these emotions because something has happened. Let's use the business example, you know, where I'm pushing for a big goal and I fall short of it come that date or whatever it is. And I'm just kind of swirling in it. And then instead of my staying in the driver's seat and doing the things that you're talking about and staying in control of, of my emotions and being self-aware of them, it's like, I'm just letting myself stew and swirl and I'm just totally out of control. And I don't know where I feel like I'm just waiting to land wherever my emotions throw me versus saying, this is the process. So that's, a, to me, a, like a visual, the physiological side of things and that flush is really helpful. And understanding too that, I mean, if you think of when you're at the ocean, you know, the first time you go to the beach and you're standing in front of the ocean and it's like early spring and you get hit with a wave and it's like, <gasps> you know, your, your whole body tenses up and you're like, that's so cold. And then you see it coming again and you're like, oh, it's coming back, <laughs> you know. And there's different intensity and there's different temperatures and there's, there's so much going on, but the concept is the same. It is that wave is going to come up. It's going to linger for a little bit. And then that wave is going to go back out, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with emotions. So we're going to have this. Sometimes there'll be several emotions that we're kind of experiencing and having to get accustomed to. I got to get used to feeling that emotion and how do I rush and flush and make it through this without letting my cognitive fuel the fire. Right. You know, cause that's mm-hmm. what actually what you were talking about. That is so interesting that happens, especially with type a and driven people, which this most of your podcast listeners, I'm sure could associate with. It, it takes a lot of drive to start a business and to scale up and to push and push and push yourself. And so When you have that kind of drive, when you have that kind of analysis, then you can also cognitively hijack any negative emotions that you've had, right? And then you create a whole analysis and a spreadsheet for why you have this, how you have this. This is destructive. Oh no, you know, like mayday, mayday. And then it's so interesting when you when you really look back. And you go, okay, what if I wouldn't have let my fears and my old storylines and what if I wouldn't have let that hijack the situation? Would I have just felt 90 seconds of disappointment that I didn't meet my goal? And then I would have said, okay, what insight do I have? What do I now know about my, 
why I didn't make this goal. Okay. So next time I'm going to do this different. Okay. Wow. Because imagine all <laughs> the people, like I think of all the people popping into my head in my life or that I've witnessed who, as they move through life, have missed so many opportunities to live a better life, live their purpose, a healthier life, a happier life, a better marriage, whatever it is, because they've never done this. And they've never accepted that this is par for the course of being human, moving in a positive direction. And it's through one lens, it's heartbreaking because I think of all the people of like, oh, what they could have been or, or what they could be if they only accepted that this was just kind of one of the things you have to work through. But it's also a blessing because their example is a reminder to us of what we need to do in contrast to them to not fall into that same situation. And they're always going to be those painful moments along the journey. That's life. But, you know, that simple concept of it's not really about how many times you fall, it's about how many times you get back up. And and I would add to that, it's how you get back up, how quickly you get back up. I mean, all those things matter. And they matter, especially if you're if we're talking to high performers and people who are in the space of growth and scaling up. Can you kind of speak to that? Because I feel like this is something anytime I'm talking, you know, I try to always be a sponge and always be a student. And anytime I encounter someone that my first thought is, oh, I want to be more like them or I want what they have, I kind of pause and say, okay, what can I learn from them so I can apply it in my own life? And when I get into these conversations or I listen to their podcasts or I read their books, there's just this common thread of them. They might not use the words emotional intelligence, but they're, they're speaking to these breakthroughs. We all have been conditioned one way and oftentimes have to grow beyond that. And it's really hard. So, you know, in speaking to high performers and, and people who are looking to go next level in their lives, is there like a common thread or a correlation between high performers and and emotional intelligence? First of all, with high performers, something to consider, and this is me kind of being the counselor. I'm going to take off my professor hat for a minute and and do a counseling hat. One of the things that high performers can really latch onto pit bull kind of style is that happiness is these big wins, these big moments, these big decisions, right? Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're a high performer. So I'm, you'd agree with that, but this is what the research tells us. Happiness is the little moments. It's moment to moment. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is completely in in contrast. It it contradicts high performers live for these big moments. Well, that puts them at risk for not having emotional habits for the moment to moment. So they they have to live from big win to big win to big win for sustained happiness. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way to sustain happiness. What we want to do is just like you have, and you are the queen of this. You've taught me the value of being very habitual, having great habits with health, right? Mm -hmm. You probably don't even have to think about your morning routine. It's probably autopilot at this point, right? Right. Yeah. And that can make you so incredibly successful because it's not a question of, am I going to have my Shakeology? Am I going to work out? It's a question of, in what order and is a baby going to interrupt? Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's the same thing with having emotional habits. So if you are a high performer and you have all of these wonderful habits laid out, you also want to have emotional habits. You want to know what am I going to do when I encounter one of these eight feelings and have the rush flush experience? What's my goal? What happens when we have an onslaught of several of the eight? Sometimes there can be five or six of the types of waves knocking you over and that you're going to have to sit in it and actually experience them. Well, what do we know about what is a great emotional habit? Dr. Pennebaker in Austin has taught us that the research suggests that you can raise your immune system by 25% if you'll sit down and write about it. Wow. Really? 25%. 25%. They have physiological evidence of 25% immune system burst. And guess what else happens? You let go of the story, the negative story that's going with the unpleasant emotion. Mm-hmm. 
by writing it. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. So it's just, that's the kind of tactical way you can release that and move through it. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, example, I've been married, gosh, it'll be 25 years in August. Amazing. Lucky Love my husband. I mean, he is wonderful. He's a process improvement king. So sometimes that's hard to live with, (laughs) but he is amazing. He's my very best friend. But we still, just like every couple, we still have those moments where something has been said and I get embarrassed or I get disappointed or I get frustrated or I feel incredibly sad. And I still have to employ the same tactic that I teach. You know, I have to sit and go, okay, I need to sit in this and I need to write. Why did this bother me? What insight do I need to gain from this, right? And when I write out what was said, how we expressed ourselves, um, what I liked, what I didn't like, then I'm actually choosing to do an emotional habit. Now, what's the alternative? If I didn't sit down and do that, and if I went with an emotion setting off a chain reaction of other emotions and being linked to all the stories that may or may not be framed correctly, I could have just have an onslaught with Brian and say, well, but you da 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 and you made me feel this way then, and, 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 and I could just go on and on, right? And what, what value is that to our relationship? It brings no value whatsoever. But if I sit down and I write and I, get, I gain control and understand my emotions, then whenever I approach Brian about the insight that I've learned, we can have um, an intelligent conversation and find a place of unity and a place of, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, so this is like Brian now knows. You don't ever say, are you living in your shadow calling to me? Like, I will freak out <laughs> because I live so purposely and I live so out and myself and so bold that it's like you don't tell a vulnerable person, even put that in their head. So that's an example of a, something that could trigger a huge explosion. But then I have to stop and consider, wait, no, no, no. He's a process improvement guru. To him, everybody is in a shadow calling because everybody can do more. Everybody can grow. We all have that. So he he has a growth mindset. I have a be comfortable in your own skin mindset that I like the freedom of being myself. I like also to have some growth strategies because we need both. So I don't know if that helps at all. I feel like I kind of went on my own little tangent, but no, it does. It helps a lot. So I want to kind of pick that apart for a second because everybody listening to this has some relationship in their lives. In the moment, I assume you're not like, Brian, pause and whip out your notebook and start writing. So like, what are you doing in the moment before you get to that secondary step of writing? Like, how do you make sure that it doesn't escalate whether it be, you know, this, this applies to people in, in the workplace or in a marriage yeah. or with your children or whatever. Like, what are some things we can do in relationships when it's coming in hot in that conversation? <laughs> yeah. And it does. I mean, Brian and I are two firstborns. You get two firstborn strong personalities, both very driven. It's going to get hot. Mm-hmm. But what we know is, um, first of all, the research tells us that only 36% of the population can identify their emotions as they're happening. So. Of course, being competitive, I want to be in that 36%. Yeah, heck yeah. You know, so my first goal as I'm experiencing an unpleasant feeling, as I'm thinking, what am I feeling? Is this making me sad or is this bringing about anger? Is this a disappointment or is this a frustration because I keep coming up against this? Mm -hmm. So I'm first trying to identify what that emotion is. Then the next thing is I'm trying to listen from his perspective. So I'm trying to think, knowing the story of Mary and Liz and the two different ways that they approached and felt about the homeless person in in the downtown area, I look at, okay, where's Brian coming from? I know his story. This is something that maybe is from his story. I know his, his passion. Some of the things we're passionate that are the same and some are just not. Some are very different. So is this one of those passions that's very different? So I'm analyzing and listening and taking in all while still feeling and experiencing. I'm having this rush that is going to flush. And I always tell myself, this is about half a song. 
Surely you can make it through half a song without opening your mouth saying something that is going to lead to an emotion that you're not going to want to feel, which is shame, right? Because you're going to be ashamed of what you said under the emotional influence of some of these other unpleasant emotions. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like so, back to oh, so many conversations that I've had. Yeah, yeah that 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 particular emotion is a little tougher to swallow. So. <laughs> to so me, wait. that's one of the hardest because I'm so I'm a guilt hoarder, and I know that about myself. So you're using all these phrases that I love: guilt hoarder. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. that's my bag. Unfortunately, yep. uh, same here. <laughs> But you use another one that makes me like is inspiring me for a whole other part two episode. It's something that I've thought of for myself, but shadow. Shadow calling. Yeah. Because I feel like, oh my gosh, how many people are living in their shadow calling right now that need to break out of it? Absolutely. And this is where you and Brian would hit off and have a great conversation. Oh my goodness. Because he's the king of recognizing shadow calling. Mm-hmm. And shadow calling is when you are living the lesser version of yourself because you have too many obstacles getting you to where you really want to go. So it gives you a little bit of what you're passionate about or excited about, but not full out. A shadow calling for me would be if I did something that was safe for me, something, I mean, I taught in the public school system for seven years. So it's, it would be something I know like the back of my hand, it's a safe call. That would be a shadow calling. I like want to get tattooed backwards on my forehead. So I see it in the mirror every morning. Don't fall into the trap of your shadow calling. That is so, so powerful. And okay, so I want to I want to back up for one sec because I want people to be able to identify like when when you see someone successfully rocking their emotional intelligence, like they yeah. have a uh, high EQ, we'll say. I don't know if that's how you guys would phrase it, but yeah, what evidence of that? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to turn this around a little bit on you. Oh boy. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever seen somebody, a public figure or someone that you've worked with where they were in a position, they were being attacked and they were cool as a cucumber and so comfortable in their own skin in the midst of it? Yes. And how did you feel about that when you watched that? Like, dang, I wish I could do that. <laughs> like, that's right. To me, that's like such poise, not, not jealous of that, but like, oh my gosh, I want that level of confidence. But did you think that was their personality or did you think yeah. that that was? Yeah, yeah. I assume that's like, oh, wow. Like, good for them. Yeah. That's just who they are. That's emotional intelligence. Mm when you can be kind and you can be gentle, right? When you can give people human dignity in the midst of personal attack, professional attack, you are so comfortable in your own skin, your understanding of your own story. You don't have to prove yourself. Your own self-regard is you have your own matrix, your own rubric that you're living to. You know what it is. It's not going to be somebody else's self-regard. It's yours. Mm Mm-hmm. That type of behavior is practiced over and over and over again until you get to a place, right, where that's who you are. That's what you've become. And you're still making that choice. It's kind of like when I was running. So, you know, our family for a season loved running. Eden and I did the half marathons and daddy did the marathons and he's back in it. He loves that. So, but it was fun, fun community. And in the beginning, I was just a girl trying to run. But eventually, after running for so long, I became a runner. I was a runner. Like, what, do you, what kind of activity do you like to do? I run half marathons. I like to run. So what was the difference? I was just practicing it. And then it became so comfortable and so familiar that I identified with it. Mm-hmm. I identify now with vulnerability. I identify with human dignity. I don't have to prove that I'm worth something at somebody else's expense. I don't have to dishonor somebody to prove that I have honor. How did that happen? Not because I was naturally like that. I I wasn't born just able to have all the skill set. No, actually quite the opposite, right? I was very defensive, struggled with saying I was sorry. That was not my bag. If I said I was sorry, that was a weakness. 
very emotional and then very non-emotional. Like it just depends. But if you called me emotional, then I was ticked. <laughs> you know, like, so I had to learn over time to just keep practicing just like I did the running. I did Hal Higdon's run plan. So just like Hal Higdon's run plan, where I started out doing a mile, two miles and worked myself up to 13. That is how it has been with emotion regulation and understanding the impact of if you can control your emotions, then you can, you can even control the way that you see yourself and feel about yourself. If you can control the emo- your emotions, you can control your relationship management because there's things that you're never going to do. Right. And then that builds self-regard, which then goes back to that reinforcement of it reinforces the, the good behavior of you being comfortable in your own skin. Because as much as I think there's a lot of wonderful goals out there, I honestly think we were made for peace and we were made for our own purpose and being comfortable with what that is. Right. Yeah. So I think there are probably so many people listening, like salivating over the thought of not having that feeling of having to defend themselves or having to explain themselves or who they trying to figure out who they are, what they want to become. And it just like that sense of, Peace and confidence and comfort in their own skin is a dream. But the funny thing is, is I think people kind of forget about that piece and don't really put it on their to-do list each day because they think it's fixed. They think because they don't even realize it's possible for them, they're trying to skip that step. And I think this is just such a tremendously huge missing link for so many of us because we want success. So we're trying to do all the things to get there. And we're even doing things to help us grow as people. But because we think this is fixed, like how we react emotionally is just in our personality or in our DNA or how we were raised. We're not applying these principles and we're not learning how to have these breakthroughs. So really we're capping ourselves and we'll never experience true success as how we define it on the show, which is not just financial success or, you know, how much your name is in lights or anything like that, but like your level of happiness or the quality of your relationships or your quality of your experience in your day to day or your freedom of time or all of those things, we won't be able to have them if we can't identify and acknowledge that this is what we're missing. And I know for me, like this is my focus of 2019 and ongoing because I know it's not just going to take me a year or two years or three years to have these breakthroughs that have been rooted in the last 30. But it's such a huge focus for me now. And I understand that this has to happen. And without peace, what it, what good is all this other stuff? You know, like you achieve the goal, but if you're still stressed or if you're still in this negative emotional space, it doesn't even feel good. So how can you achieve the the things that you want and become the person that you're meant to be and feel like you have actually allow yourself to, to live in it and experience it and be happy in it too. So I think this is speaking so powerfully to our audience. And I wanted to ask you, because I know this is something that I always like to ask the people we're interviewing, who are some of the people in your life along the way, whether they be family, friends, people who've raised you? Or people from afar, you know, that we've been mentored by or studied under or just have watched on podcasts, social media, whatever, that inspire you, that motivate you, that that bring you this knowledge that you've been seeking and you're learning and you're now putting it out there into the world. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, I, I just read a study about that as human beings, we are most motivated by comparison and then mm-hmm. by measurement which is, it's been, that's contradicted some of the other research, which, so that's interesting. That's coming out of the college of London, which is fun. So of course I'm laughing because I immediately think of when I think of who has mentored me the most in emotion regulation, which I would say is at the top of where I have, I've seen my ceiling, personal ceiling that I needed to break through. Honestly, I went straight to the top, I guess, because I looked to the life of Christ and I kept studying Jesus Christ as a person and all these interactions that he had with people and the times that he would be, he would express a desire to be alone and 5,000 people would show up and he would still be an incredible host. 
right? He would still have compassion and he would still serve. Then I, I, I look at all these different moments and I thought, is there anyone, anyone in my life that has spoken more into emotion regulation than Jesus Christ? And the answer has to be no. A study just of his life, even if I didn't have the faith element, just the study of his life, I find him so inspiring because there's so many times that I would have said and done things out of emotion that would have dishonored people. I would have blown stuff up, <laughs> you know, I would have been like, do you know who I am? I mean, really? <laughs> like, so he's been a huge model and Mother Teresa, huge model for me. Mm-hmm. watching the generosity because generosity is a part of emotional intelligence, being able to recognize other people's needs and being able to share and give to that. So she's been a, a definite model. Then I have, I have friendships and relationships. I have a, a group of women. We call ourselves woven. We started years and years and years ago and we've laughed and called it. We're some sort of a makeshift adult sorority or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> But the vulnerability, uh, Kyle Kajo in particular, she was, she's kind of our fearless leader of Woven. Her vulnerability to share some really tough life experiences so gracefully and not be afraid of the emotion that comes along with telling the story. Oh, that just really inspired me to learn more about what does she have that I don't have? Like either... I tell the story completely cold and there's no emotion or I tell the story a big, you know, flubbering mess and no one can understand what I'm saying because I'm getting a complete sinus cleanse. So <laughs> it's like I watched her and really, and I'm like that. I'm an observer by nature, I think. So I, I'll set up under people and just really watch behaviors and then try to apply what I've gleaned or like you, I'll geek out and go find research to how does she do that? I want to know how to do that. I'll find the research. What does it say? So definitely some relationships. And then of course, growing up with Brian, uh, Brian and I both, uh, very interested in applied psychology would be the field that both of us have a real knack and real love for. And he studies things from a male perspective. He's got all of his great research boxes and I'm like the spaghetti noodle female brain that has all the it's all kind of intertwined story and emotions and people. And uh, <laughs> so I love when he can pull a box down and explain it. <laughs> He's been a great resource and just a friend through a, a true colleague. You know, it's nice to live with a colleague that you're like, wow, we can really sit and, and bounce this back and forth. I learned from so many people in my life and I feel like I've been mentored because I'm a lot like you, Elizabeth. And the fact that I've always open to learn. I'm incredibly teachable. I have other faults, but humility and teachability is, that's part of my story and part of who I am as a person. And I've cultivated that and and stayed open to it. So all the people that I've come across, whether they have been an illustration of what not to do, or if they've been an illustration of that's something I'd like to adopt. But There's no whole person and I can say that that person has exactly everything that I want only because I view us all as thumbprints that we are all so unique and so that we would never find a mentor that housed everything that was uniquely us. Right. So, yeah, but I admire like right now you are my, I I look at your discipline and, and discipline, by the way, is part of emotional intelligence, being able to have self-discipline. And it has inspired me. I've, I've thought I want to be, I want to live my life with that type of discipline to say, this is how I'm going to conduct my health, my brain health, my physical health. So you're a mentor in that area. I look up to you and when I scroll through your Facebook, I go, oh, okay, I am not bikini ready whatsoever. And we have a lake house, so this is going to be a problem. <laughs> well, you have taught me over the last few years where I normally would deflect your compliment with something sarcastic. I will receive yeah. it and say thank you and tell you I appreciate that. And you. <laughs> you brought up resources a few times. Yes. That was going to be my next question. So for people listening who want to grow in this area and, you know, maybe they're not going to be able to go to school for it or study under some of the people that you've studied under, 
what can they do to just kind of start to explore this topic and really make it a priority in their lives? I'm so glad that you that you were talking about resources because I think resources are so important. You can only glean so much from one person. Mm-hmm. So here's kind of the resources for emotional intelligence. I've talked about Mayer and Solovey having the egghead research. So for all of my doctorate students out there that are really excited about diving into the original resource, Yale University and Solovey and Mayer would be your people. For those that are really interested in leadership and managing and performance, I would say Daniel Goldman, the Goldman model, is going to be a great resource. You can Google Daniel Goldman and you're going to find all sorts of social competencies, emotional competencies, how to be a good manager, how to be a good leader, using, employing emotional intelligence. For people who are really into intellectual behavior and they're wanting to get a very holistic view with over 15 different specific areas of empathy and self-regard and impulse control, more of the humanistic approach, then I would definitely suggest Revan Baron, which Baron is B-A-R hyphen O-N. He actually has, for $30, you can do a pretty detailed assessment to see where you stand in the 15 different factors of emotional intelligence. Very holistic view. Mm. He has a book called The EQ Edge that I use with students, and it gives you probably the most comprehensive and then you're going to have people like me, the little ones who have don't know what to do with unpleasant feelings and they want more research of how do I deal with trauma? How do I deal with not knowing what to do with feelings that I don't like? And for that, I would suggest Dr. Uh, Joan Rosenberg. She's the one who has the Rosenberg reset and she really speaks to a uh, clinical psychologist. She really speaks to the idea of how to manage those unpleasant feelings. Hmm. So those would would probably be the top resources as of right now. But here's the cool thing about this field. It started in 1990 and it is, it is scaled up as you would say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's so much research being added daily. So it's been exciting. That's, it is exciting to those of us who want to seek it out, but it's also exciting for society that this is finally being, you know, I feel like there are so many generations of like, just don't talk about your emotions. Don't, don't even let yourself feel the emotions, just go numb or, you know, we don't discuss those or you just power through it. Or it's just awesome to see that this is like, this is trending, you know, this is a buzz phrase and this is something that people are seeking out actively and that money is being put towards it to research it too, which I think is really powerful. So where can people find you if they want to stalk you, read some of your work? get to know you better? Where can they hunt you down? Well, since I haven't spent the same, I haven't spent a night in the same city seven days in a row since August. So good luck with finding me. I can't <laughs> find myself. I'm a where's Waldo at this moment. <laughs> Where can we find you online? We'll, we'll search for you online. Online, you can Google monicaepperson.com and there's my blog. I have a blog that I keep, which is really my inside thoughts. It's my journal for anyone to read. Um, TrueStoriesMinistries.com is an organization that I'm a part of their board, but then I'm also a narrative coach for them and really enjoy that role. So that's another area. PurposeCast.com is an area where we really dive into finding purpose, and I use a lot of emotional intelligence to there. So any of those places, of course, I'm always, I have a Facebook, uh, Monica Epperson, Facebook, LinkedIn. For any viewer that I do not know, I'll accept you on LinkedIn for sure so that you can see what resources I'm highlighting. I also want the listeners to keep an eye out. Make sure you check out the show notes that'll be linked. And we're going to have an amazing freebie for you guys to be able to apply this into your own life. So you don't want to miss that. And if this episode, which I mean, assuming you have a pulse, this episode has made some level of impact on you, I want you guys to to do me a favor because I feel like this is one of those topics that so few people are 
connected to yet, but it could possibly be what's missing from their their story, what's missing from their journey to success or to scaling up. Can you take a screenshot of this episode and share it, tag us, tag the people who need to hear it. This is something that I feel so passionately about that needs to get out into the earbuds of more people. So please, if it's made any impact on you, share it. And of course, if the show's speaking to you, go on and give us a review. Hopefully only if you like it, but (laughs) review the review. (laughs) Appreciate the honesty. So Monica, thank you so much for coming on. It was just so insightful. And even in having worked with you for the last two years, I feel like I gleaned so much from what you shared today. And you are just, I'm, I'm going to put in a request that you become an official national treasure because I think <laughs> <laughs> seriously, you just make such a positive impact on the world and it's through your story. And you always inspire me to get a little more vulnerable and let it be a little more authentic to who I am. And I'm so grateful for that and for your friendship. So thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me and you know how much I care for you. So I I appreciate getting to have this time with you. It's just sheer joy. I look forward to our girls weekend in the near future. Oh, me too. Me too. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing fromies, freebies for my homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you like today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that They are living their purpose and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all of the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.